Hello, I'm Reggie Yates, and welcome to The Road Less Travelled, an original podcast series created by Bellstaff. It's been a wild ride <laughs> on the ocean waves. An amazing, amazing ride. My love of the sport is because it's so diverse and there are so many different challenges, and that's what I face and we face as a team, you know, day in, day out, and that's why it's so interesting. You know, I'm very, very fortunate. It's been an amazing road, an amazing journey, and it's constantly turning. In this podcast, I talk to successful people in the public eye about risk-taking, confounding expectations and the choices they've made, which have led them to the place they are now. Today, my guest is four-time Olympic gold medalist, a CBE-winning sir, and a dad. But what makes him tick? My guest today is one of the most successful sailors in Olympic history. My guest today is Ben Ainsley. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Reggie. Good uh, to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming down. I must admit, your denim is uh, looking very Steve McQueen right now. Oh, thank you very much. I've been dressed out for this, and um, <laughs> I'm looking way trendier than I would in my <laughs> in my everyday world. Uh, so I'm very happy that you uh, you said so. It's, it's a good look for you. What's everyday Ben then? Are you in spandex normally? A wetsuits, yeah. Bit of lycra, neoprene. Yeah. Uh, now, this might not surprise you, but I, I am a, a complete novice <laughs> and a massive layman when it comes to your particular sport. Well, that's perfect. Uh, which is great because yeah. I, I have a feeling that a lot of people listening are fascinated by your achievements, but maybe don't understand your sport in the way that an expert would. That's right. So yeah. straight off the bat, for those that don't know, can you explain exactly how your sport works and just why you're so amazing at it? Well, the sport of sailing is really about using the elements. So we're on the water, obviously. And we use the wind and that's what blows the boat along. And so we've got to be very good at being able to deal with the conditions, the elements as they change, as they constantly do. Mm. And the wind is an, is an ever-moving force. And so if you're really talented at sailing, you're, you've got a sort of almost a sixth sense being able to read the wind. And then it's a very much a team sport as well, particularly the America's Cup, which is what we're focused on now. We have 11 guys on the boat. Right. And we've got to come together and, and get this 75-foot monster of a boat around the race course against the, the opposition. So uh, the thing I love about the sport is, a, is the diversity. Mm. As I said, the conditions are always changing. You're, you can race anywhere around the world and you'll always have a different challenge. And I guess my love of that and love of that challenge has helped me a lot to grow and to learn. And ultimately that understanding of the weather and the winds is, is, is one of the key factors to yeah. being a successful sailor. Right, so, so how did sailing actually find you? Through my parents. Yeah, my parents were very keen sailors. I was born in Cheshire and we grew up, I grew up in Cheshire until I was about eight or nine years old and my parents had a small sailing boat they kept up in North Wales. So it was, you know, a lot of uh, sailing in the Irish Sea in the summer, sometimes in the winter, a little bit chilly. Mm. But when I was about eight or nine years old, my family moved to Cornwall. And so that was a big game changer for me in terms of being able to get out in the water. In Cornwall, you know, you've got sort of fishing, sailing, rugby and... That's probably about it in terms well, of sports. You, so. You've missed one of the key Sorry. ones, sexy surfers. Oh, yeah, surfing. Well, this, surfing, is, this is the thing I'm really confused about yeah. because being a young man in Cornwall, being a surfer means that you're officially stamped as one of the sexiest people on the beach. Yeah. Why did you avoid getting on a surfboard and getting a boat? You were at the age to do the coolest thing I know, possible. I know. Well, I was on the south coast, not the north coast where the beaches are. But right. I'd had a lot of friends who, uh, who were both good at sailing and surfing. But I don't know, for some reason, I just maybe my balance wasn't good enough. <laughs> I don't know. 
I was just into the boats instead of the surfboards. I'm going to take that as you didn't have the hair for it. You kind of yeah. need amazing hair. Probably. I was probably missing the six-pack as well. <laughs> <laughs> so just how uh, much of an influence were your parents when it came to sailing becoming such a huge part of your life? They were. And when I started racing in nationally and internationally, I, I you know, had to rely massively on their support to be able to get to, to some of the events and so on and the training. And, and so my dad in particular was a big driver, understanding the psychology of sport really you know he wasn't a sportsman really himself but he had a really good i think understanding of the challenge of taking on the competition and the competitors and from a young age sort of goal setting and all these sorts of things you know having someone like that who i could openly chat to about these challenges day in day out was was a massive uh, support for me to say you've been successful would be a huge understatement you have won yourself four gold medals at the olympics which is Incredible, and it makes you officially one of the most successful Olympians ever. But at the age of 19, you won your first medal, which wasn't gold. No. It was silver. That's right. So tell me about going to the Olympics as a 19-year-old. Well, it was an amazing opportunity. I mean, as a, as you say, as a 19-year-old, to go to the Olympic Games, and I sort of only watched it on the telly, you know, before that 92 Olympics in Barcelona and Linford Christie getting the gold medal. And that was you know, amazing for all of us British fans of sport. So to actually then be at the next Olympics, 96 Atlanta, seeing all these sports stars being sort of blown away by the whole show, really, the scale of the thing. And I think that did distract me a little bit going into the competition. Coming in, I was on a big rate of improvement coming into this class of boat that I was racing. And so I was really an outside chance of winning a medal, I guess. Mm. I started off pretty badly, like I said, probably a bit distracted by the whole event, and then managed to get into my rhythm, get into the race, and, and strung together some great results. And get, went into the final race, neck and neck, with a Brazilian chap called Robert Scheidt. So we had some amazing battles, and that obviously that gold and silver sail off. And he, he came out on top that time. And I remember, and people asked me, well, you didn't look, you know, you looked pretty upset at the time. I said, well, yeah, I was, because in, in sailing, you only have one representative per, per class of boat mm. per nation so you know when you've got a strong nation like great britain it's hard even just to get that spot to to represent the country and and i didn't know if i'd ever get the chance again to go to the olympics i sort of felt like i'd blown it and may not ever get the chance again that sounds stupid now given what happened <laughs> yeah. but that's that's just what i felt at the time and so i was a little bit devastated uh, but then i got back to the shore my teammates were there and then I got finally back to see my parents who'd flown out there and, and, and supported me for the competition and then sort of sunk in that actually, no, that's an amazing achievement. Yeah. Well, that must have been incredible for your family, uh, taking on board the amount of investment they put yeah. into you. But I think the thing that you've neglected in your answer is that you were literally a teenager. Mm. That's unheard of. What sort of mentality does a teenager need to have to make it to the podium in the Olympics? Well, I had to grow up pretty darn quick I qualified for the Olympics I was 18 I was in the middle of my A-levels Wow! and I had to do a deal with my mum my dad understandably was like I go for the Olympics son you know this is your chance go for it but my mum was a bit like oh no I think you probably should finish your education first and so we had a bit of a negotiation and I promised my mum I would go back and, and finish my A-levels after the Olympics so that was our, our deal and did you? Yeah, I did. I did. I went back. And, you must yeah. have swaggered into college like the big man. Cheats. Oh, what would you have been like on that? First yeah, day? but I tell you what, I was so frustrated because, you know, talk about growing up in that year, I'd had to sort of run an Olympic campaign, get myself around the world, right. you know, do the competition, competing against guys and girls, you know, five, 10 years older than I was at the time. And so coming back to college, and I remember the first 
lecturer sat through and we literally wasted half of the lecture because some guy had, hadn't done his coursework or whatever. <laughs> I remember sort of looking at the client, I, I, I should be training or I should be doing something else. Yeah. I said, no, this isn't going to work. So I was really fortunate. I managed to sign a sponsor on the back of winning the silver medal. And so I used some of that money to go to a tutorial college so I could fit it in around my training and that worked much better. So the Olympics essentially matured you both as a sportsman, but just as a person as well, yeah. from the sound of things. Yeah, massively, massively. Now, this might surprise you, but I've never won an Olympic medal. But I definitely did do a lot. Uh, well, I definitely had a very different life to my friends at the same age as me when I was a teenager. Yeah. I always sort of felt different to them. And the mentality that I needed to actually be successful at what mm. it is I chose to do with myself made me older in a lot of ways. Mm. Did you feel a disconnect with people your age achieving so much before even your 20th birthday? Yes and no. Sometimes it was difficult, you know, when you're trying to push at a younger age to achieve something, then you have to be you have to be that much more focused. You have to make sacrifices in terms of hanging out with mates and going to parties and all that sort of stuff that, you know, I wasn't really doing. You gave all that up. <laughs> yeah, I said no. Not all of it, but most of it. Right. For me that wasn't ever really it wasn't a sacrifice. It was just something I was really passionate about, wanting to do well in my sailing and so that's what I what I needed to do. But you're right in that Sometimes it can be difficult when you're in a scenario with some friends and they're really just, you know, wasting time or it's just whatever it is you're doing, whatever you're focused on, you need to be 100% into that. You don't feel like you've got the time to mm. time to waste. So I, I think it is interesting younger people as they're going through and some people, I guess they're lucky in that they know that they've got that pathway that they, they want to achieve something and know what to do because not everybody at a younger age has that, right? It comes Absolutely. to people at different ages. So that's yeah. just part of growing up, I guess. Uh, speaking of, of growing up, uh, I remember sort of falling in love with the water in um, in my early teens. And I love to swim at sea uh, and I love to swim at the beach and, and I really enjoy it. But there's always this weird sort of intimidating thing that I felt whenever I'm in open water. <laughs> and, um, you know, just there is something kind of scary about yeah. feeling so small yeah, in the middle right. of something so huge and something so beyond your control. Yeah. But you relish in that. I mean, what sort of attraction does the open water hold for you? Well, first, I try and stay out of the water. That's <laughs> yeah, a difference. There is that. And I, I know what you mean when you're out, you're in the water, you're swimming and you're in deep ocean and you think, what on earth is underneath me? You know, what's going on down there? But for us in sailing, I've done quite a lot of offshore racing and you end up thousands of miles out in the middle of the ocean. And yeah. You're very small and, and you're really at, at one with the elements. And that's the amazing part of the challenge of sailing, particularly ocean racing. I, my main career has been on inshore racing. I, like I said, I've done quite a lot of offshore racing as well. But when you think of people like Ellen MacArthur, mm. you know, some of these amazing single-handed offshore sailors, I mean, they are phenomenal sports people because yeah. they are literally out there on their own. Oh, yeah. Something goes wrong. There's no teammates there to help them out. Mm. You know, they can call up on the radio, but it'll take days and days for anyone to get to them. The other issue with, with the offshore sailing is sleep deprivation as well. Right. You, you, every time you're, you're asleep, the boat's going slower because it's not being sailed properly or trimmed properly. And so it's being able to monitor a you know, specific amount of sleep that an individual needs to be able to keep it you know, somewhere near their optimum. I've invested a lot of time in uh, trying to understand fear better. It's it's almost been a huge sort of uh, turning point for me in terms of progressing mm. as a, as a professional and also as a person, and our, our careers couldn't be more different <laughs> yeah. because fear is something that I think has helped change me and be better at what it is that I do. Whereas you're literally competing, yeah, with the other people in your field. So I imagine fear 
has a very different role in your career yeah. than it does to mine. So what part does fear play in your career and, and, and how has it changed you, if at all? Well, I think there are two elements to it. One is the physical fear of the boats sailing around 50, 60 miles an hour. If we have a wipeout, a crash, the consequences of that are significant. And then the other aspect is the fear of risk in terms of the campaign. You know, we have 120 people in our America's Cup team. You know, it's a big, big budget, over 100 million pounds budget. Wow. You know, we've got to make some pretty big strategic calls. A lot of it is risk reward. And are you willing to put it all on, on the line to take that much risk to give the team the best chance of winning? Mm. So different types of fear, I guess. I think you're absolutely right. We're all, I think as you mature, you inevitably get better at, at mm. dealing with that. So what might those consequences be if things really do go wrong out at sea? People can get seriously hurt or worse. Like I said, these are 75-foot boats lifting up out of the water. It's going at speeds at up to 60 miles an hour. And if that crashes down and wipes out, you know, people are going to go flying. The boat's going to probably have some pretty significant structural failures. And there's an, an element of the unknown because this is a completely new concept of boat mm. for us. So have that, you ever been in one of those situations? Have you ever been in a crash? Yeah, a lot, a lot, unfortunately. Fortunately, nothing that's super serious, but it does happen in, in our sport. And so, you, you know, we prepare a lot for that. We, we put a lot of emphasis on the structural integrity of the boat to start off with, how that's designed. And then with our sailing team, we do a lot of safety training. We do a lot of underwater diving. We have all of our equipment. We have body armor and spare air canisters and knives and, and so on. And then we have safety divers who are there to yeah. come in and hopefully pick us out if something goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, it already sounds like my worst nightmare just being out at sea and, and, and something going wrong. Can you talk me through the last time something went wrong and you had to figure it out? Yeah, I think probably the worst scenario we had was about three or four years ago. It was the end of November. We was our last day of, of training in the UK. Mm -hmm. And we were developing a new boat for the for the previous America's Cup, the 2017 America's Cup. So this was probably November 2015 or 16. We were just finishing the day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. It was the sun was just starting to go down, and we did a final maneuver. And we had a failure with the control system or the mainsail of our boat, which is what powers the boat really. Okay. And it forces into a capsize. So the boat just it actually happened quite slow motion. The boat just heeled over and over, and we we're all sitting there going. Oh, God, you know, and there was nothing we could do. And the boat just came over on top of us. Right. And again, because this was a new design or concept of boat, we hadn't really anticipated that scenario. So the, the water basically came into the back of the boat and you then sort of had this almost like Titanic-esque scenario where the bows of the boat were sticking up out of the water, but the rest of the boat was under the water. Right. And then how on earth are we going <laughs> to do it? At one point, it's going dark, it's freezing cold. I almost just said to guys, we just got to cut this thing off and let it go, you know, because this is getting dangerous. We're in risk of, thankfully, everybody was fine, but we were in risk of hurting people because it's dark and seriously cold. And I'm not sure we're going to be able to recover this. Anyway, finally, we had one last shot at towing the boat up and trying to get the water out, drag the water out of the boat. And finally, it just sorted itself out and the water slowly came out. And as it came out, the boat got more and more buoyant and we got it back, which was a, a major relief. Yeah. But, well, how do you, you know. stay cool in those moments of, of fear and worry? Because your job can be incredibly dangerous. Yeah. So when things are going left and when things are going wrong, outside of those things that you're going to do, the, the process that you know is in place, 
How do you maintain that calm in those situations? Well, I think it comes back to if you in those situations, if you have a role, which I do, in, in communicating to the rest of the team, how do we react to this? Then the more you are in those situations, the more you realize you have to stay calm because if you lose the plot, then nobody's going to understand what on earth's going on. Mm. You know, you've got probably 30 people out there all with headsets on, all trying to listen, understand what the next move is. If you, as one of the leaders out there, are losing the plot, then everyone's just going to lose it. So then I guess that responsibility that you feel to the rest of the team forces you to try and be as calm as you possibly can and try and be as coherent as you possibly can. So obviously the instructions get through. I I love talking to sportsmen because your default setting, well, the the nice ones, uh, (laughs) is humble. You know, uh, it's always the team. It's always the unit. It's always us. And your humility is clear because I'm the one that's brought up your silver medal and you haven't, at any point said, yeah, yeah, but I won four golds, mate. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which isn't the way that I'd be. Yeah. If I'd won four gold medals, I'd be wearing them all the time. <laughs> They'd all be on massive rope chains. Um, you've literally made history. You know, you are one of the most successful Olympians out there and it's an incredible thing, so much so that, you know, you were honoured with a CBE. Should I be calling you sir? No, absolutely not. But it's literally <laughs> a part of your title now. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. I mean, that was a very proud moment, yeah, particularly for my family, my yeah. parents. Uh, it was great. to. Sadly, my dad passed away recently, but for my mum and dad to be there and share that moment, That's I think amazing. it was really cool. Yeah. So who is it in your life that you're forcing to call you, sir? Surely there must be someone. Oh, my wife. Good man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that doesn't get, go down well no, at all. No, I'm going to get killed for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, have you uh, sort of found yourself at any point saying, no, 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 I'm a sir now. I think you should address me differently, pal. It was one moment. <laughs> I'm very, very embarrassed to say I'd had a few drinks and I think I might have tried <laughs> to pull the card. And it was the most embarrassing moment of my time. And I was absolutely, the next morning, I was traumatized. I can't <laughs> believe I said that one. Absolutely. What were you trying to get? Was it like an extra pint at the bar? Oh, what were you like using I it for? I can't, I can't actually remember. It was, it was quite a big night. All oh, right. So. Yeah, no, I was I was mortified. So no, never, never. Well, you're allowed one, so I'll I'll give you that. Yeah, exactly. Good for you. Well, look, with the amount of success that you've had, how would you define it? Do you define success as your achievements at work or as something else? Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't. Yeah, I'm really, really proud of what I've been able to achieve individually and with a team. But for me, it's all about what what's next, really. You know, in this uh, challenge we got with the America's Cup, it's a really interesting one because it's. It started in 1851 around the Isle of Wight. It's the world's oldest international sporting trophy, but it's something that we've never won in in Britain. Although we kind of invented it, invented the race, we've never won it. And, uh, you know, that's such a big challenge and that's the real motivator for myself and the rest of the team. And so until that job's done, I really don't think about what's happened in the past. That's helped being a stepping stone to get here. Um, But until we can sort of achieve that, then I don't really... I see that as sort of being a defining moment, really, because, uh, you know, that's been, as a kid, that was always an ambition to be part of a winning British America's Cup team. Yeah, you can't, I don't know if that makes sense. You can't, until you sort of feel like you, you've ticked that box and everything that's gone before, you can't really... Uh... I'm completely confused here. Are you saying then that you don't see yourself as successful until you have won this race? In a way, and yes and no. I find it hard to sort of, rest of my life and say, oh, well, you know, I had success in the Olympics. I've won the America's Cup with an American team and done other bits and pieces. So that's fine because 
you just got to keep that mm. motivation, that determination going. So that's kind of the way I, I try and stop myself from getting lazy, if you like, yeah. is to keep trying to push for this goal with the America's Cup. I'm fascinated by this idea of a winner's mindset because to win is a huge achievement. To get a gold medal is a massive thing, but to do it and then want to do it again and then achieve it and then keep going and keep winning medals, it definitely requires a very specific outlook. So what is that winner's mindset? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember the the first gold medal I won in Sydney 2000. And I remember getting on the plane at the end of that, a couple of days after, kicking back in the seat, thinking, oh, you know, that's it, I've made it. I've won the gold medal. That's Whatever happens from now on, that's, you know, I've made a success of my life sort of thing. And that lasted for about two days. <laughs> Is that it? And then, you know, you're like, oh, no, what do I got to do next? What do I, you know? So I think if you're of that mindset and you're a sort of a determined, motivated kind of personality, then I think you're always looking for the next challenge, really, aren't you? Life's too short, really. You haven't got too much time to hang around kicking your heels. You've got to sort of make the most of it. That's my view anyway. So you're literally saying two days is how long it took you to take your foot off the gas. That's all you needed before you wanted to go back again and be better. Yeah, I think so. It was a couple of days of, of you know, partying and hanging out with friends and you, and it's an you know, amazing feeling of achievement, but then already you sort of feel something missing here. Yeah, but you know? why is yeah. that? <laughs> Where does that come from? I think that's something my dad, you know, instilled in me from an early age is, you know, he said, if you get a chance in life, absolutely got to grab it and run with it and make the most of it because they don't necessarily come along that often. Mm. Um, so I think that's something there that's always been driving me. Yeah, oh, that mentality for competition is something that makes complete sense in your chosen field and it's obviously paid dividend. <laughs> you've, you've won a ton of medals. Um, but how does that apply to life for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think when I was younger, certainly I struggled in terms of, you know, especially as a single-handed sportsman, you, you end up being pretty selfish, right. if I'm honest. And so how that would affect my family, my friends, you know, relationships, all that sort of thing. And I think as you get older and you mature and you sort of figure that out, sometimes painfully, sometimes hopefully just through <laughs> going through the process, it's a balancing act, isn't it? You know, now I've, I've got a wonderful wife, Georgie. Um, we've got a beautiful daughter, Bellatrix, who's three and a half. And so it's clearly about trying to spend as much time with them as I can do. At the same time, still got it, you know, having this amazing challenge with the America's Cup. How do you keep the family on side, considering you go away for such long periods and it's a really demanding job? Yeah, it is. It is tough from time to time. Georgie, my wife, has been an amazing support. And I guess we got together. She knew what my career was, what my focus was. Also, she's very successful in her own right, in her world, in presenting and television, media and so on. You know, we wanted to have a family. We had a plan. And really, we've we've been trying to work through that. I'm not lying. It's, sometimes it's difficult. Like you say, particularly, you go away for long periods of time. And I think um, modern communication, certainly, uh, yeah. good old FaceTime, makes a, makes a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a few friends who play various sports. And they're all incredibly proud of their achievements. But one thing that they are adamant about is what they'll be remembered for. I promise we're not going to get morbid now. Mm. I'm just really interested to find out how a sportsman who is as successful as you've been stops their successes being the thing that they're defined by. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is quite a deep question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, having a family, having a daughter, 
has certainly changed my approach to life massively. And don't get me wrong, I'm still hell-bent on this challenging America's Cup. But my family is the most important And this is new. Your daughter's quite young, isn't Three she? Three and a half, yeah. As I'm an old man sitting there, I'll be way more worried about what my family, what my daughter are doing, how they are, than what I achieved as a, as a sportsman. Yeah. Uh, we spoke earlier about the challenges that you faced at sea and some of the challenges that you've had while actually competing. When was the last time you felt some true adversity and found a way through it, would you say? Unfortunately, there's been a lot of, uh, lot of examples of that. I suppose probably the most prominent was London 2012 Olympics. So I was seriously underperforming halfway through the competition. There was a Danish sailor in particular who, who I hadn't beaten in any race. You know, this is a 12-race series. We were six races into it. And he beat me in all, every single race. It's something, you know, seriously had to change. I had a lot of physical issues. I'd had uh, surgery on my lower back about six months before the games. Um, my muscles, for whatever reason, were cramping up. Yeah, I was in a really bad place physically and also underperforming out in the water. So that was probably the toughest challenge I've faced at the highest level of sport. Thankfully, we had a break, a, a spare day halfway through the competition. I was able to get away and sort of reset and think about things and and come out fighting and change my approach. And, you know, I was a favorite going into the competition. And I think I had a mindset of, well, if I just sail as I know I can, don't take any silly risks and, you know, I'd probably be fine. For me, I had to up my game and I had to start taking more risks and, and, and sail or race to win mm. rather than just being conservative. So that was the change, really. That was the challenge. Where does that fight actually come from then? When I'm racing, I'm racing to win, you know. It's it's funny because people say, oh, you seem quite a relatively relaxed kind of guy. And and I am when I'm away from the water. And, you know, I go and play a game of five or side and I'll get stuck in like the next guy, but it's not like I'm just hell-bent on having to win the game. Mm. But when I'm sailing and I'm racing, then... Yeah. Um, we are in uh, the second season of the show and I had a real pleasure of being in this room with some incredible people first time around. And this idea of understanding their road less traveled was something that I, I, I got to with every episode. So how would you sort of describe or define the road that you've been on and why would you say it's different to the next man? Wow. How do I define it? It's been a wild ride <laughs> on the on the ocean waves. An amazing, amazing ride. Like I said, my love of the sport is because it's so diverse and there are so many different challenges and that's what I face and we face as a team, you know, day in, day out. And that's why it's so interesting. You know, I'm very, very fortunate. It's been an amazing road, an amazing journey and it's constantly turning. Ben, it's a, an absolute pleasure meeting you. And oh, um, likewise, genuinely, I'm in awe of what you've achieved. I'm trying my best to get as much nuggets of nails from you because to keep doing what you've done, it's just uncommon. It doesn't happen. So um, before we run out of this room, for anybody that is trying to better themselves, be it in their career or in their personal lives, you've clearly found a way to keep pushing and keep getting better. What would you leave them with as a, a piece of advice? Well, as we talked about, life's a journey, right? So it's about learning, constantly trying to improve, find ways, whether it's through reading, spending time with interesting people. You know, I, I found this chat we've had really, really inspirational. Those are always the opportunities to, to learn and be, and be better and enjoy life more for it. So basically, come on this podcast is what you're saying. Damn right. Got it. <laughs> nice one. Uh, pleasure. Thank you Cheers, so much. Really. Thank you. Cheers. You've been listening to The Road Less Travelled, brought to you by Bellstaff. Bellstaff.